Overcrowded classrooms, record educator vacancies, yet politicians want to give $500 million to a California billionaire and stash $2.4 billion in reserves, while our students and educators suffer. It's a rainy day in Nevada. It's time for 20. Paid for by Nevada State Education Association. Welcome to Indie Matters, the podcast from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm your co-host, Jacob Solis. And Jacob, on today's episode, we talk about, uh, you, I think you've been calling it Big Chungus, uh, the big omnibus 500-page education bill. Isn't that right? I've never once called it that, but yes. And after that, you and me are joined by Tabitha Mueller to talk about sundown sirens in Nevada, specifically in Minden. That's right. And after that, Tabitha stays on with us as we're joined by Howard Stutz, our gaming reporter, to chat more about the Oakland Athletics coming to Las Vegas. All righty. Well, just like last week, my first segment is joined by Rocio Hernandez and Jacob. Hello, you two. We're talking about education again this week. Welcome to the pod. Hey. I'm always here, Joey. So glad glad to be here. <laughs> good, good, good. Uh, and so specifically, we are talking about Governor Joe Lombardo's 95-page AB 400 education omnibus bill. What this means is that there is a lot of stuff kind of all in one bill, all around education. Joe Lombardo has kind of branded himself as the education governor, or at least that's what he would like to be, you know, remembered as. And so, Jacob, just to start off laying the groundwork here, what is in the bill? <laughs> Well, Joey, there's a million different provisions in this bill, but to make it simple, there's four big policy areas that the governor is targeting with this one. The big one is school choice, right? So it's expanding an existing school choice program called Opportunity Scholarships, which we'll get into later. But he's also made a couple changes to the way that charter schools might work and the way that school zoning would work. Then he's got a, a big section on childhood literacy programs, expanding funding for that, and then going back to a major provision of the Read by Grade 3 program. Then he's got stuff, you know, more money for the teacher pipeline and, and basically more latitude for the governor's office to declare labor shortages and new accountability measures, sort of taking existing commissions, giving them new mandates so that everyone can kind of track the way that education money is spent. And if it's affecting outcomes, things like graduation rates and stuff. Okay. So let's start with school choice. How exactly would AB 400 expand Nevada's school choice options? So the big thing here when we talk about AB 400 and school choice is opportunity scholarships. And I'm going to explain this as simply and as quickly as I can because they're weird. So what it is is that it's not necessarily the state funding a scholarship. What it is is that the state will give tax credits equivalent to an amount of corporate donations that go to scholarship organizations that let families subsidize private school tuition. You know, and, and a lot of these private schools are also private religious schools. So basically families that are at 300% of the poverty line, that's $80,000 for a family of four, can qualify for this scholarship. They get a maximum of $8,700 per year, though usually they get less than that. It's kind of in like the five, $6,000 range. And about 1,400 students got those scholarships in 2022. So everyone hold that information in your mind. Because the way that this bill changes that is that it dramatically increases the threshold to qualify for the scholarship. So instead of 300%, it's 500% of the federal poverty line. So for a family of four, that's $150,000 of income every year. Now, what it also does is it basically quadruples the amount of tax credits available to fund the program. So instead of about $13 million per year in tax credits like we are now, it would increase that to $50 million in the next biennium. Okay, so 
that's a lot of money. <laughs> so uh, why does the governor's office actually want to make these changes? Well, on the one hand, you know, Governor Joe Lombardo, like you mentioned in the intro, he basically staked his campaign for governor on being Mr. Education, right? And a big part of that when we talk about the way Republicans talk about public education is talking about private education and school choice. Governor Joe Lombardo, his chief of staff, Banky Kever, they're Republicans and they're presenting this bill. How have Democrats responded to all of this? They don't love it. So it's important to note, we say it all the time, but, you know, Democrats are in control of the legislature. They control both houses. And this was heard in the assembly where there's a supermajority of Democrats. And so the assembly speaker, Steve Yeager, who sits on the Ways and Means Committee where this was heard, basically said that, you know, OK, even if it's not directly coming from state budgets, this is still money that the state is losing out on, right? Just because we never got the money from a tax credit doesn't mean that that money never existed, right? Like the state would have gotten that money. He argued that basically it was not wise for the state to direct dollars to private education when the public education system, even if it's going to get $2 billion this year, isn't at the funding levels that the state commission on education funding says it should be at. Okay, so Rosia, you've been following part of this bill too. And so other than opportunity scholarships, you know, how else is this looking at school choice in the bill? Yeah, there's a bunch of different ways. I think I heard either Governor Lombardo himself or someone from his staff say that the way they're looking at this is that school choice doesn't necessarily have to mean just one single thing, like the opportunity scholarships that we've been talking about. So a couple of different things that they're looking to do is expand charter schools by allowing cities and counties and potentially even tribal governments to sponsor new charter schools, potentially by allowing these municipalities to open their own charter schools. They could alleviate crowded traditional public schools. They're talking about, you know, alleviating already existing traditional public schools that may be overcrowded, you know, so students can have more options available to them instead of sticking in these schools where you might have large class sizes and therefore not get as much personalized attention. Another thing that they're looking at doing is adding state funding for charter school transportation, because right now charter schools don't get support from the state the way your traditional school district would to transport students. So therefore, if you are a student or a parent of a student who wants to attend a charter school, you're going to have to drive yourself to school somehow or carpool with a family or, you know, find another means to get there. And that limits the access and who can access these charter schools. So you you might not see working parents being able to do this. It just wouldn't be feasible for them without this possible transportation funding. Another thing that the governor's office is looking at doing is creating open zoning of schools. And what this would do is right now, each student, depending on your address, is zoned to a particular school within your traditional public school district. What this would allow you to do is now leave your neighborhood school and go to a different school, no matter what part of the city or the state, as long as that school that you're looking at getting into has space for you within their their school. And then the last thing that they're also looking at doing is creating an office of school choice. And what the governor's office described this as is it would be like a hub of information and support for parents or students who are looking to explore the variety of, of education options in the state. So that could be anything from private schools, charter schools, other traditional public schools known as magnet schools, CTA schools, home schools, micro schools, the whole full gambit of options out there. 
And so the idea would be that if you come to this office, you can get all this information on how you could sign up or enroll or transfer to any of these schooling options. And another, you know, contentious thing in this bill is the read by three provision. It's a 2015 provision presented by Governor Sandoval to, you know, get kids to read by the third grade. If they weren't, they were held back. That provision was then removed by Democrats in 2019 so that you couldn't hold people back, but it still had funding. And then during COVID, a lot of that funding was taken out of it. There's still some funding in it. It's, it's pretty much a shell of its former self. So how is this bill kind of changing and addressing read by grade three now? Yeah, so there's two major provisions in this bill that the governor is proposing. The first is adding a whole bunch of money back into the program. So basically $123 million for a new part of the budget, that's going to fund early childhood literacy programs going forward. And then the next major part, like you mentioned, is this holdback provision. It's called retention. What it would mean is if you can't read by grade level based on testing when you're in grade three, then you'll be held back until you can prove with testing that you can read at grade level. It would take five years for this new retention provision to kick in. Right now, the governor's office is looking at 2028. So part of the impetus behind bringing back this retention provision includes a recent national assessment that showed that Nevada's fourth grade students were falling behind in math after COVID. And according to state data last school year, about 44% of elementary school students were proficient in English language arts. I know the governor and others have said that these kinds of metrics are just unacceptable. Okay, so there's a couple other things in this bill still that we haven't addressed. So let's do a quick <laughs> lightning round here, going over, you know, what else is in this bill before we wrap up? Yeah, so there's a couple of different efforts to increase the teacher pipeline. As we all know, there is a need for teachers here in the state. And we did see a lot of teacher vacancies at the beginning of the school year across Nevada. One part of the bill would expand funding for teaching scholarships. There's another section that would allow the governor to declare a critical labor shortage in certain positions where you see, you know, a need for more people in those positions. And this would essentially open up a legal avenue for retired teachers to come back to that job, receive their retirement money, and while still drawing a salary. Right now, that's a no-no, and that's something that some people argue keeps retired teachers from coming back and helping districts with those kinds of needs. It would also mandate CCSD to create what's known as a career and technical education program for high school students. So essentially, students would be learning in high school what it takes to become teachers, again, in the effort of increasing the teachers that we have here in Nevada. And so real quick, too, I did want to note an accountability portion of the bill where basically the governor's office is trying to expand the mandate of an existing commission, the Commission on School Funding, to basically also look at school performance. So tracking different metrics like graduation rates, test scores, all kinds of stuff to make sure that the investment is going where the state wants it to. And it's actually working all right. Well, this is a huge bill. There's a lot going on in it. We'll see if it gets amended or changed or what happens with this bill. And we'll be following that, Jake Morosio. We will both be keeping a close eye on that as we as we move forward through the last third of the legislative session. Thank you both so much for joining me today. This past week marked the first House passage deadline, which meant that any bills that didn't clear their way through the first House died. Most of them made it through, and that includes one bill that would try and ban something called a sundown siren. Our colleague Tabitha Mueller was monitoring a vote on the floor on this bill, which is more controversial than you might think. So Tabitha, let's just start here. What is this bill and what is a sundown siren? 
So the bill is Senate Bill 391. And basically what it would do is ensure towns can only use sundown sirens for emergencies. Now, sundown sirens have historically been used as signals for people of color to leave the town limits before nightfall or suffer bodily harm. You know, some people have said that this is an a relic of the past. It's not anything that's still in place. But those who hear this siren say that it is reminiscent and a continuation of a racist history in which people of color were harmed. And one of the things that we heard in this discussion was Senator Dallas Harris, who is Black, reading an email that she received in April as an example of why this measure is important. I want folks to understand that although the ordinance was dropped in 1970. This is not history. I received an email on April 8th of this year, 2023, that says in part, too bad they abandoned the sirens to make people like you leave town. I hope Nevadans soon realize that your kind should never be in charge of anything in this country. This history is not history. It is incumbent upon us to put these types of things in the history books. And you can, you can pass an ordinance to say that something means something else, but I guarantee you today that there, unfortunately, are Nevadans who wish that that siren still applied to people like me. One thing that I think is worth noting is that what Dallas Harris kind of pointed out about this is that it is incumbent upon lawmakers to put policies or practices like this in the history books, even though that some of her colleagues pushed back against banning sundown sirens. So in 2021, there was a law passed about sundown sirens. So there is this, does this, this feels repetitious or, you know, why are we also doing this one now? Yes. So there was a bill that was passed last session that addressed sundown sirens and, and banned them. However, what happened is the town of Minden said that the tribe had agreed that they could move their sundown siren up to 5 p.m. However, members of the tribe kind of felt bullied into that decision. There was a long discussion about it when this bill was heard and are asking for a complete ban. So this measure would essentially close any remaining loopholes that were left by the bill that was passed last session. All right, Tabitha, well, thanks so much for talking about that. And you're gonna stick around with us to talk about the A's coming up. All right. Well, Tabitha has stayed with Jacob and I, but we are also joined by our wonderful coworker, Howard Stutz, who has been working with Tabitha to talk all about the Oakland Athletics, the Oakland A's, who might potentially be coming to Nevada. We talked about this a little bit last week, but, you know, there's been more news as, as we continue to look into this. So, Howard, I guess to start off, let's talk about they were actually offered a plot of land in Las Vegas. The, the A's were offered a plot of land in Las Vegas for a dollar. That's correct. The owners of the Rio Hotel down here in Vegas, they, they get, they're on like 90 acres. It's a huge plot of land. New owners bought it in 2019. They're going to redevelop it. It's still going to be called the Rio. But they went to the A's and said, look, we have like 20-something acres in this back parking lot, kind of across from the Strip. 
You can see the Caesars Palace properties are across the freeway there. Said, we'll offer it to you. You can develop it. You can, you can connect to the our hotel. You can be an island, whatever you want to do. By the way, to make it enticing, just you, know, you don't just have to pay us a dollar. So that would have cut down some of the development costs. Right now, AAs are, they're looking for $500 million in public money from the legislature, you know, through a tax district. They didn't end up taking that right. dollar offer. Well, no, that's what's so surprising. They, they're, they're, they're asking for $500 million. That probably could have reduced the, the price that they're seeking. And they said, well, we don't like the traffic coming in and out of it. We don't think it's a good, good fit for us. And then lo and behold, a, a, you know, a week or two later, that's when they landed the old Wild Wild West site over on Tropicana and, and Dean Martin Drive just west of the freeway, which the A's president told me that's where they wanted to be from day one. They always wanted that side of the 20 plus sites they've been looking at here in Southern Nevada over the last two years. Yeah. And I'll kick this to Tabitha because there was actually some movement this week, nothing actually concrete or that changes our perception of what the deal might look like. But someone made a visit to Carson City. Is that right? Yes. Yesterday around 3.30, we saw quite a few A's lobbyists and the A's president, David Cavill, actually going into a meeting in the assembly speaker's office. Along with Steve Yeager, we had Treasurer Zach Conine, who was also kind of going into the office. So Definitely some things happening on the ground, but it's it's still unclear. You know, there's no specific deal yet. There's nothing set in language. We haven't seen a bill, but I'm hearing and we have maybe about two more weeks if they do want to get something done this legislative session. Tabitha is correct. That's what we've heard is that the A's and I think the lawmakers themselves would like to get this done in two weeks. The problem will be is if they don't, it's probably would go to a special session. And I don't know if the governor wants to call a special session. But I think they're going to try to jam this through as quick as possible. I was also going to ask, you know, we the Raiders got, is it $750 million in public funding to build yes. Allegiant? So they're, the A's are looking at $500 million. I think, what what has public perception kind of been? I think there's been a lot of back and forth. They're different, but they're the same in some ways. The Raiders, to start off, Allegiant Stadium, $750 million in public money for basically about a $2 billion, 65,000 seat football stadium. That money is raised through room taxes. There's, a, there's an increase in the room tax. So if you stay anywhere on the Strip or downtown even, or just in certain areas, small percentage of your room tax is what goes to pay for that $750 million of public money. The A's are looking for $500 million, but the tax incentive district they're creating is almost like a user fee. Because you're going to have the baseball stadium, and then you're going to have all these restaurants and shops and entertainment ideas around the stadium. If you buy, you know, buy drinks or food or whatever, that money is where we'll go toward the $500 million in public financing. It's not going to be a citywide type tax. So that's the, that's the main difference of it. Obviously, we have a lot more details now than we used to. And if this deal is going to get done, we're closer now than we have been this entire time. But what is the likelihood that this actually happens or otherwise, you know, that it falls through, that it doesn't happen? Well, I mean, there's so many different variables. I think the legislatures, a lot of these lawmakers want to get this done. They want to see it done. You're, they're now getting pressure. There was a release today from all the Southern Nevada chambers, the Las Vegas Chamber of Commerce, Asian Chamber of Commerce, Latin Chamber of Commerce, all supporting the A's. We saw over the previous weekend, Southern Nevada Building Trades announced a project labor agreement for the A's stadium. I mean, this is, this, this is all like little 
buttons to push on the lawmakers. And I think some of these legislators are going to twist themselves into the most unbelievable pretzel they can to support the stadium, but also want to take a look like they're not going to give this nice big public money package to the A's. I mean, it's going to be a real circus to watch, I guess. It's going to be great theater. Personally, I believe in the end it's going to go through. I just don't know in what shape or form or how quickly it'll happen. Governor Joe Lombardo has essentially said absolutely no taxes. So it'll be interesting to kind of, like you said, how are they going to cast it? How are they going to make it? You know, and and talking about the redirection of sales tax dollars, you know, in what could be maybe a special tax district is interesting because, sure, it's not new taxes, but that's tax money that wouldn't be going back into the state. All right, Howard. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Tabitha, you as well. I'm sure we will be talking a lot more about the A's as well as other sports-related things as they happen in Las Vegas. Howard, I'm sure you know, you're going to be joining the, the next Major League Soccer team that, that comes to Vegas, right? Or the next the NBA team that comes in next? <laughs> the NBA, three years. I, 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 will, I will predict that now, three years, and we'll go to the Oakview Arena that's being built south of town that we've written about. Will no tax dollars involved, no, no, no public money involved with it. It will be done by... Tim Lywicki and Mark Dane, and that's, that will be the NBA in three years. Prediction. All right. Well, I can't wait to wear my Warriors Kings hat when we start talking about the NBA. Thank you, Howard and Tabs, for joining us on the podcast. And Jacob, I'll see you in the outro. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. We want to thank Rocio Hernandez, Tabitha Mueller, and Howard Stutz for being on the show today. This show is produced and edited by me, Joey Lovato, with additional help from Michelle Rendells and my co-host, Jacob Solis. If you want to support the show, leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. You can also email us at podcast at theenvyindy.com. Our theme song is from Emily Pratt, and we have additional music from Storyblocks, June Pearson, and Joey. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm your co-host, Jacob Solis. And we'll talk to you next week. Overcrowded classrooms, record educator vacancies, yet politicians want to give $500 million to a California billionaire and stash $2.4 billion in reserves, while our students and educators suffer. It's a rainy day in Nevada. It's time for 20. Paid for by Nevada State Education Association.